My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, welcome back, and uh, I want to continue on with where we started last week in a series called Reset. You know, the reality is that there are moments in our lives, there are seasons, there are times when it's good to evaluate. It's good to stop, to ask some questions. Maybe you've had a crash, maybe a hard experience, someone's passed away. Maybe you have a season of doubts. Every one of us need moments where there are pivotal times in our lives where we say, you know, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I can't keep going where I'm going. It could be in the relationship of finances, maybe a, a relationship it might be that you need to stop and evaluate and reset a few things. It might be at work when you determine that I no longer want to do this, I want to do that. Those are great moments in our lives. I also think that it's very important for us occasionally to examine our spiritual life, our relationship with God, or at least how we view God and our perspective on God, and ask some significant questions. Because it just might be that you need a reset on your faith journey. And so I want to invite you to do that through the series. Now, I know we all grow up with some kind of understanding of God. We grow up with some kind of understanding of church. I know for myself, it was my grandparents that took me to church when I was a little kid in Indiana. And I learned about God. I learned how to pray. I learned how to read the Bible. I sang some songs. I still have one of those songs that I can, you know, sing in my head. I wouldn't dare sing it out loud. Um, But I remember those things and they were impacting to me. Uh, Some connected, some didn't connect. But the reality is we all have some kind of a faith background, some kind of an understanding. It might be a different belief system, might not be Christianity, who really knows? But the reality is you have something in your life. And so whether you come from a faith journey or don't, I think it's important for us to stop and evaluate because it just might be that the things that you believe, the things that you're practicing actually don't line up to the Bible. It just might be that you learned how to do things and those necessarily weren't bad, but they were just different. And now as an adult, you have an opportunity to ask some why questions. Why do I do this? Why do I participate in this? What does this look like now for me? Is this real for me anymore? Or is it something that I really never examined fully when I was a kid? 
And I've said before, I'm an old youth pastor, and one of the questions is that I would ask youth is, have you owned your own faith? God bless mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, all that stuff for introducing you to Jesus. But if you don't have Jesus personally, personally, then you don't have Jesus. And so we talk about that. And I think it's a good time to reset. It's, you know, COVID, I don't know what variant we're on right now, but the reality is it just kind of keeps whacking us. And it's like, let's just stop and reevaluate everything we do. It's important to do that every once in a while. I think COVID has brought about a hard stop for all of us. And it's a good time to ask questions. Could also be that some of the deep questions you're asking, you know, might be dangerous questions. It might be that you grew up in a situation where your view of God was tainted or viewed uh, from the perspective or the lens of something that you've now discovered isn't true or that you're wrestling with and you don't even know if it's fair to ask the questions. Not long ago, a couple months ago, I sat with the pastor not far from here and I listened to him through a conversation of lunch and I asked questions and I found out that as a part of being a part of this and leading this church that was very judgmental, very legalistic, very harsh, fundamental, that over time it just wore at his soul and he began to even doubt the reality of God. And so he began deconstructing his faith. He began removing it from his life. And and I'll say it from my perspective, instead of just seeing that there are a few bad apples, right? Not everybody looks like Jesus or acts like Jesus, even people who claim to be so. um, That it'd be better just to imagine that all the apples are poisonous and get rid of everything. And to now actually walk away from the faith. And, And I think that if you do an honest evaluation before you come to a conclusion like that, And as I said last week, look at the facts, look at the history, look at the reality. You could be on a beautiful journey of understanding what faith looks like at this season of your life. Because I believe there is objectivity to faith. I believe there is reality of what we see in the Bible. And so I think it's important for us to do a reset. I think it's important for us to ultimately come down to this all-important question. Who is Jesus? Because the whole of the Bible, from beginning to end and all the pages throughout, begin to talk about God's love for us and it's expressed in its fullness in Jesus, God's son given for us. And if we can focus on that, that gives us a foundation for our reset. Now today, I want to talk about a word that always shows up in religious circles, but rarely shows up outside of church. It's a word that um, if I were to use it in common everyday language, it would just really trip people up and it would confuse them. It would be awkward. But in church, we can use it all the time. And it's this word right here. It's the word sin. And uh, you know what this word means, right? Or you think you have an idea of it. If you're Spanish, it means one thing. Uh, it means without. But in an in English context, translated through the original language, it has this idea of a brokenness. It has this idea of a separation. It has this idea that we haven't quite made it. Now, that's a harsh word. That's a condemning word. And, and with all the loving feels that I've got today, why would I give you that harsh reality, right? Let's just hug each other and love each other and let's just forget the word sin. Because we shouldn't be condemning one another, right? Jesus was of love. And let's just eradicate that word from our Bibles. Let's take our faithful black highlighter and mark it out so we don't have to talk about that anymore. Because we'd be a whole lot better if we just didn't condemn, right? But see, unfortunately, the reality is you know life is different than that. 
you know we wrestle and we struggle. Uh, this past week, I was up in Seattle, and I was training some pastors, coaching pastors, and um, we had been at the church where we were at up there in West Seattle, and it was kind of loud, and so I said, is there a coffee shop we can go to? The pastor said, I know where's one, so we went, drove there, and he said, oh, park in this spot over here. I always park there. It's a great spot. I questioned it because it didn't look like a legitimate parking spot, but I didn't question him, so I parked there. Two hours later, I have a $44 ticket on my window that I had to confess to my wife. She wrote a check for it. Thank you very much, hon. And so it's like, ah, okay, now that wasn't a sin. They didn't write me a sin ticket, right? Because we don't live in that world. We live in the world of mistakes, right? That's, look at this word here. This is such an easier word, mistake. Uh, that, that, that's, I love that word. Let's just tone everything down to a mistake, because that means, you know, you mean well, you had good intent, uh, but you just didn't quite do it right, properly, right? That's it. Well, sin is a really strong word. It's a theological word. As I was uh, riding in the car with my friend, we were talking about this through a lot of miles, and he's a pastor friend of mine I've known for 30 years. And as we were recounting the stories of our life and how we grew up and how God has really changed us, we talked about what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, is the sin that so easily entangles us. Uh, in the King James, it's besetting sin. And the idea is this, is that it wraps around the axle. We, I, I can relate to that because on our property with two acres, uh, the, when the leaves come down, my wife grabs the John Deere and puts the leaf you know, catcher and she sweeps the yard as it were. And every once in a while those leaves go in, but the branches begin to wrap themselves around that and it just just clogs it up. We got to cut it out. We got to just break those off. We got to remove those and clean it up. But you know in your life that there are struggles that you wrestle with that just wrap around you and continue to wrap around you. And it's not just a one-time thing, a seasonal thing. These are like life struggles, right? And so the writer of Hebrews in King James calls them besetting sins, or in a newer translation, a sin that so easily entangles us, right? It wraps around us and pulls us down. So my friend and I were talking about this, and we were talking about mine. Mine is anger. His is lust. Relates to personality. It relates to the house we grew up in and how God has been so good throughout the seasons to work on us, to tone those down to the point. But the reality is... We still struggle with those. I grew up in a household where anger was volcano-type anger, spewing lava, explosive, dangerous, painful, hurting anger. So as a kid, I determined I would never be angry. <laughs> that was awesomely foolish. Um, but because what I did was I just shoved it down. And I didn't know. I was naive. I remember and it wasn't until getting my master's degree at Multnomah uh, in, University, and I was there, and I was in a class on counseling. We were being taught by this great professor on how to counsel others as a pastor, and then she sucker punched us because she actually was counseling us and helping us realize how messed up we were first, right? And so she put this chart up there, an overhead, and she put it up there, and it was a motion of anger and all these things, but over here on the low level was frustration and irritation. And I'm like, oh man, I'm in trouble. I live life that way. I don't volcano spew it. I cork it and bury it. And oh, that's really good when you're talking about toxic waste. That'll never haunt you, right? And I had to come to terms with I had an anger issue. It wasn't as most people see it, but it's an internal thing. 
In fact, it was just yesterday, my wife and I are working on a deck outside of our, our bathroom, and we're putting this, this uh, pond liner down. It's a big, long story, and I'm trying to put some caulking on, some sealant there, and thank you, Home Depot. You make your caulking gun out of plastic, and it snapped in half as I'm pressing. And, I'm, and, I, and so what I did, the loving thing, I just threw it down in anger, right? It's like, that, that was really mature, James. But that, it shows up, right? But here's the thing. You have that, too. I don't know what your besetting sin is. I don't know what your, you know, sin or struggle that wraps around the axle or your ankle and trips you up, but you've got it. If you were honest, you would admit that no matter how much you've grown, even in a relationship with God, you still wrestle with something. Left to yourself, it will pull you down and trip you up. And we have to realize sometimes there are things that are deeper than just mistakes. You see, it's so easy to blame others for our problems. But when we take responsibility for our own actions, that's when change comes about. And so we use the word mistake. It's such a beautiful word. I mean, how many times have you seen a public figure, a politician, or a a TV star, movie star get up there and there's cameras and microphones all around and they stand up there and talk about the mistake they made. And you and I are sitting there going, dude, that... You knew what you were doing. There's no way that was a mistake. You're getting off easy, right? If you would instead stand up there and confess your sin, then people would at least acknowledge that. But you don't dare do that because you have a PR team that can't allow you to be honest because you keep a nice shiny look on everything, right? And so we live in a culture that doesn't acknowledge the word sin. Instead, we choose to replace it with the word mistake. Because it sounds nice. I meant well. I didn't know what I was doing. And sometimes that's true, right? And in life, when you make a mistake, what do you say? I'm sorry. In fact, why don't you say that right now? I'm sorry. Now, how many of you, let's be honest, recently have made a mistake? Raise your hand. Do it online too. Raise your hand. Now, some of you didn't raise your hand, and that means you're lying which is not a a mistake. It's a sin. You're in serious trouble because you're in church. Okay. What if, what if when we acknowledged our sin, we said, I'm sorry. But when our mistake, we said, I'm sorry. But when we acknowledged our sin, we said, forgive me. Because see the word sin talks about a break in a relationship. And when you sinned against another person, You know, it's your responsibility to clean that up. And that doesn't come with just a cheap, I'm sorry. That comes with a, please forgive me. And that allows the restoration process to begin. See, my friend, when he had me park in that spot, I had to own that. That's my fault. He he didn't sin against me. He just made a mistake. Cost me 44 bucks, right? But it wasn't a sin. He just said, I'm sorry. That was absolutely legitimate. If he had known and if he had intended harm on me, I would have beat the living daylight. No, I would have, <laughs> anger, no, I would have, I, I would have had a broken relationship. And he would have had to say, please forgive me. I intended harm for you. Okay, but that's not what it was. It was just a mistake. But when we sin, there's a break. There's a violation. There's a wall that comes up in our relationship. See, mistake is something you do on a math test when you forget a formula, right? That's a mistake. The worst is you could get a bad grade. But a sin is when you cheat on the math test 
and attempt to deceive the teacher. That's a sin. And so what do we do? What do we do in life when we realize that there's a deeper problem with What do you do when you realize that even in the best of days, you've given yourself credit, far more credit than you deserve. But when you look in the mirror, you realize it's deeper than that. What do you do when you find yourself going back again and again to struggles? When you go back again and again to temptations and you fall into those again and again. What do you do when you realize your life is out of control? When you realize your life is unmanageable, are you willing to fall down to your knees and cry out for help? Or are you just going to call it a mistake and go on? A friend of mine, Kevin Maller, Sunrise guy for many years, uh, he sat down with me this week in the studio and we recorded his story and I want to share it with you today. Hi, I'm Kevin Maller and I've been going to Sunrise for about uh, six years now. Um... You know, I uh, uh, would like to tell my story today. Um, you know, my, my early childhood, I had a, a really good raising. I had a mom and dad um, that loved me. And um, uh, I, I remember going to Methodist Church when I was really young. Um, and I had very fond memories of, you know, going to church and going to Sunday school. And as I got a little bit older, um, doing the youth group and going on campouts and had really fond memories of of uh, my early days in the church. So right around that time, I uh, was probably 15, 16 years old. Um, I started experimenting with smoking cigarettes and smoking marijuana. Um, you know, as I went into junior high, I was trying to fit in and um, you know, I started turning down a, a, a bad path. Um, I think as I um, progressed with alcohol and drugs, um, you know, I got out of high school. I was um, trying to fit in and um, started getting into harder drugs, um, was experimenting with psychedelics and ecstasy, and um, really spent the next decade um, with that kind of party lifestyle. Um, I would work really hard during the weeks to support my, my weekend habit. I feel like uh, as I was using these drugs, I, I, would, I would slowly wear out the next one. And eventually um, I ended up, uh, you know, using heroin. And um, that's when things got really bad. Uh, I spent from 2003 to 2006 uh, being an IV drug user. Um, I was either thinking about using heroin or um, trying to figure out how I was going to get money to buy heroin or using heroin. That was my life. Um, uh, 24-7, 365, uh, for three years, I was consumed. As a non-believer in 2006, I, I hit my knees and I immediately called to God for help. Um, and um, I don't know why when we are in uh, a 911 situation, we can go years without, um, without calling out to God. But when we are in a 911 situation, we immediately hit our knees and call out to God. It's something instinctively inside of us that I feel um, happened. 
And I just called my mom and I asked her for help. And um, within about two hours, I was in a car on my way to treatment center. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, recovery is not just drugs and alcohol. You know, we, we all struggle with something, um, whether it's sex, uh, money, the pursuit of money, um, whether it's controlling things, people, places, and things. So I would just like to uh, say that you are not alone in this. Um, if you need help, um, you can reach out to uh, the church. You can reach out to me directly. Um, if you have a problem with drugs or alcohol, um, you know, we do have a, a meeting here on Thursday evening for men. Um, and I could get you connected in all the women. I could get you connected in the right direction. Um, and I think that there's help for you. I love that. I love it because that's just another honest sunrise story. That when we look around amongst us here in this room or those online, we all wrestle with something. We all struggle with something. And it's okay for a while to call it a mistake and give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. But come on. At some point, we have to recognize it's deeper than that. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, the guy that actually uh, wrote this story we talked about last week, wrote down uh, a book, a letter to a, a group of people in Rome called Romans. And he says it this way, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And again, that really seems harsh and that seems condemning. And people may want to shy away from that or push back or destroy that as a statement. Because who, who wants that condemnation in their life, right? But see, that's the reality. Unless we're willing to look at the reality of our lives, we have nowhere to go. Like Kevin said, when you hit bottom, you get on your knees, you call 911 in that sense, and someone shows up to rescue you out of that, yeah, there is work to do. It's not easy. But that's the moment when everything can change for you. But it only comes when you're honest. And when you quit calling it a mistake, and you start calling it how God calls it, and you call it a sin. Well, the word sin is interesting um, because, uh, you know, it's easy, to, it's easy to compare yourself to others. Let's be honest. Look around the people around you. Look to the left and the right. Becca, you're alone. Look behind you. Um, but the fact is, is that when you look around the people around you, you could easily compare yourself to them. And I'm telling you, you look so much better than they do. You do. You, you are a better person. You have higher morals. You intended more than they did. That's just kind of how we see it, right? We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and others we look down upon. We love God's grace and mercy. We want to give judgment and truth, right, to others. But, but here's the thing. According to this verse, God doesn't ask us to compare ourselves to other people. He says the comparison is, is far worse. It's between you and me. And between us and God, there's a huge gap. And God is not willing to lower his standard to come down to our level. But he, he requires us to call our struggles what they are, and they're sin issues. They're deeper issues. You know, and it's worse than that because this, this word, everyone has sinned, is not just like a one-time thing. It implies a continual action. We continually sin. 
We continually fall short of God's glorious standard. We are always falling short. And the beauty of that word, if you look at it in history and linguistics, it's an archery term. And it's the idea of you try to get it, you try to hit the mark, and you fall short of the mark. And that's what the word sin is. Now, um, we had a men's retreat a couple of weekends ago. And so I was able to have all my sons with me. It was a great weekend. Went to Camp Tadmore and Sunrise. It was just great. All, everything was wonderful wonderful. There was one moment, though, that I wasn't really pleased with. It's when we went to the gun range. We went up to the gun range there at Tadmore, and my boys had the 22, the Ruger handgun. I had the 9mm Smith & Wesson, and I had some really nice targets, and I put theirs at about 10 uh, yards. I put mine on the back wall, 25 yards, and we fired off, and each of my sons had a couple clips we went through, and I was embarrassed. This is what I did. And I looked at that, and I, I just—I was with a bunch of guys. Everybody was firing what they had, and I looked at this. And on the out, just at one, two, three, four on the outside, but only two even remotely hit the black, right, where they popped a color. Not even close. It's been about two years since I've gone and fired my handgun at a range. Muscle memory is lost. Focus is lost. This—this this is an embarrassing thing for me to show you, right? But this is exactly what God says about you and me. Even when we try to hit the mark, we fall short. We don't hit perfect bullseye because we sinned. And we've broken the relationship between us and God. And we don't just do it once. We continue to miss the mark. You know, in archery, there's a clear way to judge our shot. And that is look at the target. But I know you and me, we're pretty crafty, schemey type people. We go and forget the target. Let's go make our shots and then let's put the target and draw it around that, right? That's, we look good that way, right? Now, the amazing thing about Jesus is when he was alive and walking around, he spent time with people like you and me. And you see, we think that by making mistakes, we end up being a mistaker. (laughs) And we call ourselves a mistaker, But Jesus called people who sinned sinners. And he hung out with sinners. And he didn't condemn sinners. He loved sinners. He spent time with sinners. And if you spend your life thinking you're just a mistaker, one day hopefully you'll crash hard enough to realize it's more than a mistake. It's actually a deep-seated root issue where you are powerless, you are out of control, and life is unmanageable. And you need to hit on your knees and call 911 and reach out to God and others. You see, sin breaks relationships. And what Jesus came to do was not condemn us because of our sin. Because the Bible says we're already condemned. He came to restore us into a relationship with God. And where the word sin sounds like a condemning kind of thing, it's actually a restoring kind of thing. Because Jesus has come to bring us back. But it only comes when we recognize we're not a mistaker, but we're actually a sinner. As harsh as that may sound. You know, as long as you think you're just a mistaker, the idea of asking for and receiving forgiveness is far from you. Because you don't recognize it on the level of severity that the other person does. Or, or worse, that God does. Mistakes don't require forgiveness. Mistakes are accidents. But sin, the Bible says, breaks the relationship with God and violates that by actions, by attitudes, by avoidance. And we are actually separated, the Bible says, from God. 
And thankfully, Jesus came to restore us into a brand new relationship with God. In fact, that same Apostle Paul continued writing, and he wrote verse 24. Let me read 23 again and add 24. For everyone has sinned. We continually sin. We continually fall short. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. We all miss the mark all the time, is what he says. Yet, I like that. But, okay, I know that's true, but I got some good news, right? Yet, God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. God, because of his grace, sin requires truth, and truth brings judgment and condemnation. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, because sin has a penalty and requires a payment. You know, the reality for you and for me is this. Is that when Jesus comes in and you invite him in to press the reset button on your life and you begin to reset your perspective on who God is and who you are and what he's done for you through Christ. When you acknowledge your sin, it doesn't lead to further condemnation. It actually leads to freedom. It actually leads to hope and to health and to life. It actually leads to a restoration between you and God and you and one another. Because coming clean with God is the only way back to him. I wrote this down. I wanted to read it to you. My whole point today is simply this. Only when you embrace who you really are can you ever truly become who God wants you to be. And I think who you want to be. And that is someone in a relationship with God walking freely. But you have to confess. You have to admit that there is a severing in the relationship between you and God That's been separated because of, not your mistakes, but because of your sins. And as a result, God is not inviting you into more church. He's not inviting you into more offerings, into more prayer, into more discipline. He's inviting you into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Because that's the only way to come home, is to hit your knees. Jesus doesn't condemn you. In fact, the Bible says he was condemned in your place. He came to restore you and to free you. And so the Bible says, and Jesus himself says, you and me, we're sinners in need of a restoration, in need of forgiveness. And that's the beauty of God. He doesn't stand on the sidelines. He doesn't stand in the balcony above us and point the finger. He comes down and lives among us and carries our sin to a cross. And he dies for us to cover over the penalty of sin. And now he just invites us into a relationship with him to acknowledge that and to receive that forgiveness. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the beauty of Jesus that even though he was God, he didn't consider that position as one to hold on to, but stepped down to our earth and walked among us. And when he walked among us, he spent time with the hurting and the broken the sinners, the least, the last, and the lost. And in doing so, Father, he showed us a way. And through the pages of the Bible, we discover that you dearly love us. And in spite of our continual falling down and missing the mark of our sin that so easily wraps around our ankle or our axle to hold us down, you give us freedom and you give us forgiveness when we receive this message of Jesus, you give us hope. 
that even though we wrestle and struggle and to our dying day, there'll be a little bit of that besetting sin in us. You will change us and you will mature us and you will do the work in us to free us. So one day we will see you face to face and be like you. That is our hope. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our savior. Amen.